Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And on this episode, we're thrilled to have two guests. Aaron Lee is a writer and a producer of popular TV series, including The Cleveland Show, Superstore, The New Normal, and The Little Show... I've appeared on a couple of times myself, Family Guy. He's also written and produced numerous specials, including the MTV Movie Awards and the Primetime Emmy Awards, as well as the reality show Spoof Show, My Big Fat Obnoxious Boss, and he's collaborated with none other than yours truly on original material for the Comedy Central Roast of Bob Saget, the Comedy Central Roast of Joan Rivers, and the Comedy Central Roast of Roseanne, among others. He's also the former co-host of the greatly missed podcast Crackpot Cinema, along with our dearly departed friend and colleague, Mike McFadden. And he's also the co-creator, along with this week's other special guest, of the hit podcast, Dark Air, with Terry Carnation. And for some odd reason, he remains, to this day, obsessed with a joke from Mad Magazine parody of Gary Coleman's movie, On the Right Track. (laughs) Rain Wilson is a writer, best-selling author, producer, director, and Emmy-nominated actor of the big and small screen. You've seen him in notable TV programs like Monk, Entourage, Six Feet Under, Transparent, Mom, The Rookie, and Star Trek Discovery, and of course as one of the most beloved and unforgettable characters in the history of the medium, Dwight K. Schrute, on NBC's long-running show, The Office. You bet. He's done outstanding work in features as well in the films like Almost Famous, Galaxy Quest, Juno, The Rocker, Super, Monsters vs. Alien, Hesher, and the 2018 prehistoric shark movie, The Meg. He's also the author of a very funny and revealing memoir, uh, The Bassoon King. Art, idiocy, and other sordid tales from the band room, as well as the New York Times bestseller, Soul Pancake, Chew on Life's Big Questions. He's also co-created and writes and stars in the previous mention, Dark Air with Terry Carnation. And this man claims 
He once lived in a haunted house. And he appeared in the worst production of the worst play William Shakespeare ever wrote. Frank and I are excited to welcome to the show the multi-talented Aaron Lee and Rain Wilson. Wow. What a thrill. Epic. Yes. Wow. It's an epic intro. Greatest intro ever. I can. We could just drop the mic. Let's leave right now. Goodbye. <laughs> it, it, it could double as an obituary. <laughs> All it, it needs may. is found dead in his Los Angeles apartment. Found dead in this studio. <laughs> in Burbank. When I, hear those, when I hear those credits, Frank, I'm reminded how many cheesy yeah. credits I have and... This, I left some out. This podcast. <laughs> Aaron, you have way cheesier credits than that. You have Wait, so many terrible ABC's credits. Are You Hot is the first credit on my IMDb page. I've tried to get that taken off a hundred times. But oh, this what podcast. Was, what was to Are You Hot? That was Lorenzo Lamas with a laser pointer <laughs> pointing to <laughs> men and women in swimsuits' bodies to point out their flaws and judge if they were hot or not. It was a ripoff <laughs> of when Howard used to do that, but on ABC. Right. And I had to write banter for Lorenzo Lamas. <laughs> what would, how would that go? What would a sample Lorenzo Lamas banter be like? Oh, the, you know, that's not a thong. That's more like a wrong, you know, or some... <laughs> Terrible, <laughs> terrible quips like that. That's like not fashion bad. police jokes. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's not that bad. kind of stuff. But yeah. but this is my favorite because I'm an obsessive fan of this podcast, as Frank knows. And and Gilbert, I've been listening since the very beginning. I know Cesar Romero and the Orange Wedges. I know Danny <laughs> Thomas. I'm I'm the world's biggest fan of this podcast. So it's do, an honor to be here. Do you know about Quincy Jones' story about With Marlon, Marlon Brando and Richard Pryor? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> But I don't think Rain does. I don't. Why don't you tell Rain, Gil? Oh, okay. Just recently, about a year ago, Quincy Jones says he was uh, partying with uh, Marlon Brando and Richard Pryor once, and uh, they both got really coked up, and Marlon Brando and Richard Pryor fucked each other. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, uh, hold still, Richard. You're moving around too much. Oh, this is great. This is great fucking coke, man. I'm going to enter you rectally now. Oh. I like, Brando. I, yeah, I, I always imagine uh, when I think of that story that Brando would be on top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. To I see think an so. 800 pound Brando crushing <laughs> Was this late stage Brando? Was he enormous at the time? <laughs> One or? can only hope. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. That's what I. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, uh, uh, Quincy's family stopped him from doing interviews shortly thereafter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Aaron, because um, we, we, we mentioned. We're off to a great start. We mentioned Family Guy, and I remember like agents try to act like they're really doing important work, and they were, and so the the last time that uh, Family Guy had called me for something, this agent says now uh, there's a rule 
that if they draw a picture of you, uh, animate a picture of you, you have to get approval. And I had to explain to the agent, like, well, last time I was on Family Guy, I was a horse, <laughs> and I'm coming back as a dog whistle. So I don't think we need to bring the legal department in on this one. It's also so ridiculous how many insulting drawings have been done to celebrities on Family Guy over the years. There's no way that's a law. Like, we, yes, we yes, draw Roseanne as like Jabba the Hutt. You, you know, <laughs> there's no way that gets approved. Rain, Rain was on too, was he? Not? I, I was on as oh, big forehead guy <laughs> because right. I do have an inhumanly large forehead, and uh, <laughs> but it was me as Dwight. I kind of was doing Dwight, and then. Dwight had a big forehead, and I had to get approval from NBC and Greg Daniels in the office to, to do Dwight's voice on Family Guy, and they and they mocked the office. Oh and, yeah, they just shit on yeah, the office. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think Seth hates the office. I think he, he just does not understand why it's as popular as as it was. But it, it was fun. I was happy to be a part of it. Aaron, uh, do you want us to mention some more of those credits that we left out of the- uh... Oh, some of my terrible credits? Yeah. Let's go well, to town. Yeah, I, know Gil I know Gilbert at least wanted to ask about uh, the Osborne family Christmas special. I it, I didn't even remember until you say that. I didn't even remember I had done that. I do remember doing the Kid Rock Christmas special. Oh my god! I was on a real hot streak of dirtbag Christmas specials, and uh, I did those two. But I don't I don't remember anything about the Osborne Christmas special. I can uh, yeah, I can't tell you. Is anything the is about the Kid it. Rock Christmas special out there? Is it on YouTube? Can you see it? <laughs> God, I hope not. I hope none of this I hope no one can see any of this shit. What's, what's another of your most embarrassing <laughs> I mean, the most embarrassing and career worthy ending is Hustler magazine when I was twenty two years old, of course, getting the job as their humor editor. But then <laughs> From those depths, how, uh, much, how much do they pay? What does Hustler Magazine pay a twenty-two-year-old to be the humor editor? I can editor? tell you how much: nineteen thousand dollars a year. Oh my was God. the most I had ever made in my life. It was, it was that's fantastic? Yes. You, you know, Aaron, we never go to questions <laughs> this early, but your friend and mine, Daniel Frank, says Aaron is a good friend of mine. Uh, he used to work for Flint Publications, so ask him about his exit interview. Oh yeah, I do. I do remember this story at my exit interview for Hustler Magazine. They said, you have to give us the reason you're leaving in three words or less. And I thought about it, and I said, moment of clarity. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my exit interview at Hustler. That's probably still on a big computer somewhere yeah. in a basement at Hustler magazine. And a weird connection, a weird Flint connection to uh, to Rain, a loose connection, and that Rain just He's did my father. that. Roy... Yes. Larry Flint is your father. You just did that Roy Raiden podcast. And yeah. it, was, it was Flint's bodyguards, his one-time bodyguards, who bumped off Roy Raiden. What? Wow. That was Larry Flint's bodyguard. I didn't even put yes. that together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah The Cotton yeah. Club Murders um, is a podcast on Audible I did voices for, and it's it's one of the most, I mean, I can't believe there's not a movie about it, um, but it's, it's one of the most incredible true Hollywood stories, and people don't know it, and it was so recent. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was quite a character, running away as a kid to join the circus. Yeah, Roy, Roy Raiden. Yeah, and, and he had and the, he was the Legends yeah. of Vaudeville uh, yeah. tour that he produced, and then he would, when they came to a town, he would have he would hire the policemen 
to sell the tickets. So the policemen were calling everyone in the town like, this is Officer Lombardo. We'd really like you to buy 10 tickets to the <laughs> Legends of Vaudeville uh, tour that's coming to Schenectady on Thursday night. And, and he would sell out every house because he got the cops to sell the tickets. That's yeah. how he made a, his fortune. A, a real shady character. And, 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 and Frank and I were talking about, and this, this really struck me because I feel the same way. Um, uh, you, Rain, were saying that you hate this, how, like, you know, Hollywood and the culture in general has adopted, like, oh, like the hip nerd thing. Oh, you talk about it in the book, you know, yeah. your, your, your yeah. kind of resentment of the co-opting of nerd culture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. We could have a debate on whether that was, is ultimately positive or negative, but uh, yeah, it's, um, I was like an actual, Aaron and I were both oh, actual God. nerds. Like I was- uh, Us too. I was um, on the ceramics club and I played the bassoon and model United <laughs> Nations and I was- <laughs> Uh, I was covered in pimples like it was and there was, you know, being being a quote unquote nerd in the late 70s and early 80s was like there, there was nothing cool about it. You just got the shit kicked out of you. People mocked you. They spat at you. Um, you really were rejected. And um, but I think Hollywood Hollywood essentially just cashed in. They kind of realized, oh, wait a minute. There's a whole audience here. We can. We can attune our movies and our our crap to uh, to this nerd audience. There's just, it's just there's nothing. So how do we do that? Oh, we'll make nerds cool. I don't know. Well, look at Comic Con. I mean, it's 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 gigantic, oh gigantic business. Yeah. And I, what drives me crazy is whenever they're interviewing like some gorgeous, sexy actress or model. <laughs> Who says I was always the biggest nerd? Oh, and, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't see that. <laughs> it, 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 it's con it's like the list of nerds like Charlize Theron and Scarlett Johansson. I was such a nerd. Oh God! All I did was watch old Bowery Boys movies, and uh, I was such a nerd. Yeah. Yeah, because neither <laughs> none of those models or actresses could ever get laid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll have heartbeat. you know there's no bigger Leo Gorsi fan than Scarlett Johansson, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I, while we wait for you to explain... Cindy Crawford's a fan of Hunts Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Since we left it hanging out there, Aaron, would you, and you're such a fan of the show, would you like to attempt to explain to Rain the Cesar Romero? Uh, Urban God, myth? I, what an well, honor. What an honor to come on the podcast and ex and get to be the one who explains Caesar Romero. This I'm getting chills that I get to do this right now. But I have heard some Danny K stories. Oh, okay. no, Danny Thomas oh, stories. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. This is there's Danny, well, K Danny K stories too. Danny K. There's a Danny K too because yeah. Danny K. All the Dannys and, and Lawrence Olivier used to fuck each other. According, according to Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> okay. According to the old Vic Theater. <laughs> Olivier and Danny Kay would fuck each other in the wings of the opening. I think you're ad-libbing, Gilbert. <laughs> During the opening of the Inspector General. That's right. 
Aaron, uh, go ahead. Right, yeah, Howard, I'd love what? to. I, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm only going to attempt this a little bit. I'm going to try and do a little of Gilbert explaining because I've, I've okay. like I said, I've heard about Cesar Romero <laughs> used to stand in warm water, pull his pants down to his ankles while his boy toys would fling orange wedges at his bare ass. Some say it was tangerines. <laughs> He's got it beautiful. I was thinking, do they win a prize if it wedges in the, his ass crack? Is that was the idea, maybe? Caesar Romero, he's the prize, yes. Presented would by would Roy you Rain. like to tell in my voice, <laughs> tell Rain, the, the Danny Thomas I think he knows story. that one. Well. <laughs> but yeah, but just to hear it. Danny Thomas laid on the floor while women shit on his chest. But I heard it was he laid under the glass coffee, the glass coffee table. The glass coffee yes. table. Yes. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yes. It was a glass yes. coffee which, table. Which is the perfect segue, Aaron. <laughs> yes. For yeah, I the, know where you know, you know where I'm headed with this. Well, for the Comedy Central roast one year, I wrote a joke. I think it was for Carl Reiner where he said, and I want to come here tonight to tell everybody the legend of Mary Tyler Moore in the glass coffee table, <laughs> knowing, <laughs> knowing that only like ten people, three of whom are here, would get that reference. <laughs> but, but Carl Reiner was game. But is, it's isn't it true that uh, Danny Thomas uh, slept in the bed with his mother up and through his teenage years because they were very oh. poor? And oh, then later he would make uh, soup out of women's uh, panties. <laughs> so it's kind of all connects. You know what I mean? It, it just gets better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Rain, another recurring motif on this show is monkeys. Okay. And you had a monkey story from, from when you were living in Nicaragua. Yeah. The, pet, the neighbor's pet monkey, which Gilbert found fascinating. When I told him about it, um, yeah, I haven't read that part yet. I haven't gotten up to that part. <laughs> no, I know that when we were we lived in Nicaragua as a child, and I have a little section in the book where I talk about yeah, the, it's great. the critters of Central America because there were all kinds of just weird creatures everywhere. And I know the monkey would come into the kitchen. But what did I say? I can't remember what happened. You said he would shit in the kitchen, which yes, <laughs> which, he would which sh- rem- reminds me of Dwight's kitchen <laughs> on the on the on the beet farm. Yes, he would yeah. come in and shit in the kitchen, and then we'd have to chase him back out the window. Yes, and we had a <laughs> there you go, Gil. We had a parrot named Jose, and the reason that we know his name was Jose is because he said one word: Jose. Over and over again. That's all he would say. And I remember as a kid going in and going, Jose! And the parrot would go, Jose! Now, if your listeners to this podcast, can either one of you tell the uh, cunnilingus chimp story? Oh, God, that's... um. Yeah. Wait, who is that that would train? It wasn't Sunset Boulevard. It's, a, it's about yes, Billy Wilder. It was, that's and, right. And, uh, it's the Gloria funeral Swanson. for the chimp in the beginning of the movie, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so in the movie Sunset Boulevard, the, it opens with the funeral for the chip. And Billy Wilder went, went to Gloria Swanson and said, you're fucking the chimp. Don't forget, because Beverly Hills housewives would train chimps to perform cunnilingus on them. 
This came from Jackie the Joke Man, Martin. <laughs> I love so, how you have to legally back up <laughs> who, who gets sued for this. And I think when the chimps were eating them out, the music would be dun 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 dun. Yeah, the Nairobi Trail. <laughs> yeah. And an Ernie Co- an Ernie Kovacs reference. Rain back to the for book. the kids Just, out there. For the kids. <laughs> Did, by the way, didn't the monkey ride the dog's back? That was that was also. Uh, I just I'm, and, we're upset. I can't we're remember. <laughs> chimpanzees. Aaron knows the book. If you I, I, know the news stories, yeah. Chimpanzees are horrible creatures. Yeah. Didn't that one bite that woman's face off? Yes. Yeah, they bit a woman's face off. They bit a man's face off. Uh, they bit their toes and fingers off. And on the man, they mutilated his genitals, said in it. So those are, I'd rather be in a lion's cage than uh, a chimp. <laughs> well, a lion is going to just end your life immediately. You know, a chimp yes. is going to eat your dick off, and then you're yeah. going to have to live with that. <laughs> I, I'm i with you 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, talk about what you told me on the phone. We're going to bounce around here. As you guys can see, there's no uh, there's no pattern <laughs> there's here. There's no rhyme or reason to or this. No rhyme or reason to any of this. But Aaron, you were born in a in a, a place with famous comedy roots. Oh, Jamestown, New York. The yeah, the hometown of Lucille Ball. Which, when I was growing up, I heard the same thing from every like old person in town. They would say, "Lucy was a slut." And a booze runner during the Prohibition. And she's not even from Jamestown. She's from Falconer. And (laughs) years later, just recently, I found out this was all started by my grandfather, who was being a prick, who started these rumors about Lucy that were completely false. No kidding. I don't know what his beef with Lucy was. What did your grandfather have against Lucy? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't did, know. Did you ever? I mean, I'm sure everyone's seen that statue at least on the internet. Oh my god! Oh, it's terrible. Oh, the, Lu- the greatest yeah. oh my, Lucy statue. Yeah, he did that statue of Lucille Ball where speaking she of looked chimps. like like a Neanderthal man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they they put up a they took it down. They put up a pleasant one, but it was amazing. It looked like something out of a horror movie, like the statue they find in the beginning of The Exorcist or something. Have you been to the comedy museum up there, Aaron? I love it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. They got that great Gilbert's comedy been. festival now. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm I'm proud of my hometown for that. They, it's really amazing. Have you performed there, Gilbert? Uh I I filmed some stuff there. Oh God, it's great. And- and I know they have me there on and I oh they have me there in their basement of like uh porn of like not porn but dirty material. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Rain, I just want to ask you about some stuff from the book too. Speaking of family, since Aaron brought up his his grandfather. And your dad is a very, very interesting character. Mm. Uh, a <clears throat> kind of a renaissance man, a painter, an author of science fiction books. And we were talking about nerd culture a beat ago, and that that was his work was sort of your introduction. I found that fascinating to science fiction writers like Bradbury and and Philip Dick and movies like Zardoz and Silent Running. That was your yeah. That's your dad's work kind of inspired your creativity yeah, yeah, in certain you, ways. You know, speaking of nerd culture and and uh, <clears throat> Aaron, you know, and I talk about this like 
I I started like most kids do reading comic books, but mm-hmm. I I switched over uh, at an appropriate age out of the comic book <laughs> world. At like twelve or thirteen, I switched over to uh, more heady stuff of like science fiction, and uh, yeah, my dad was writing science fiction, and I still have my uh, collection of science fiction from the nineteen seventies, and it's it's hundreds, maybe four or five hundred uh, uh, books, all from the nineteen seventies paperbacks. And and now Zardos, that's the movie where Sean Connery uh, is bald and wears a <laughs> diaper. That's right. That's yeah, he has a, a metallic diaper. Yeah, he's got yeah. A, a big, um, and it's a V-shaped. Yeah, it's it's like a diaper with uh, a yeah. with like lederhosen uh, straps on it. So much chest hair peeking yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good one. He's here suit. Your dad, but your dad, you you paint a very interesting portrait of him. Yeah. A guy who was into everything from Tchaikovsky to Brubeck. Yeah, to... he, he my dad uh, passed away uh, almost a year ago, actually. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, thanks. And um, it was very sad. He, he died at uh, 79 of uh, heart failure. And um, but yeah, it was it was um, there were a lot of uh, fucked up things about my family, as most people's families are. But he was very inspiring in terms of his love of the arts. So. You know, we would go to museums on art museums on weekends, and he would talk about abstract art, and he would be reading me uh, my actually my namesake Rain actually comes from Rainer Maria Rilke, the mm-hmm. German poet, and uh, but they didn't want to name me Rainer because it's too close to Mount Rainier, which we lived by in Seattle. Um, but you know, read poetry and watch you know crazy old movies. Um, he was. Uh, uh, he showed me the the Bergman's uh, what what's the dance with death? Seventh Seal Seventh Seal Seventh Seal yeah. you know when I was like inappropriately young like look he's playing chess with death and I'm seven years old and <laughs> um, uh, and it was great and he would blast opera music and paint abstract oils and then at his desk job which was uh, at a sewer construction company it was kind of slow and he would be pounding away on an automatic uh, typewriter. Uh, and writing book after book after book. He only sold one called Tentacles of Dawn. Um, and uh, he, But he had stacks of other ones called like Clarissa of Doom, uh, The Lotus Eaters. Uh, I kind of, I think I list the titles in the book. Yes, but, you do. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he sounds like a fascinating guy and I'm glad he got, to, I'm glad he was around to see a lot of your success. Yeah, he's he was great. We were very close, and uh, and he was very proud of having a son that was in show business. He would wear uh, Dwight office uh, t-shirts and sweatshirts around, so people mm-hmm. would say, "Oh, I like that show," and he'd be like, "That's my son." So he would uh, have <laughs> great he'd walk around with my face on his chest. Did he? I love that he would walk into into rooms full of strangers and say, "Who wants to come back to the house for a spiritual gathering?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that so was your house was haunted. Yes, oh, so the house in Nicaragua, the yeah. house in Nicaragua that the monkey shat in the kitchen was haunted, <laughs> and there's an absolutely true story. Like my dad, he, he as as crazy as that sounds, he was a kind of a conservative guy. He was very uh, grounded in a lot of. He wasn't like a crazy woohoo hippie, and he told this story, and he s- took it literally to his grave, and he swore. That we moved into the house, and there were rumors that the house was haunted. This was in a small town in Nicaragua called Blue Fields, and on the Caribbean coast. 
and it was an old Victorian house who'd built in like the 1880s. And uh, every night he heard um, this kind of, and he couldn't figure out uh, what it was. And in the morning, he'd kind of notice that the furniture would be in completely different places. And so he took a chalk and he drew little circles around the legs of the furniture and he'd hear the same noise at night. And sure enough, like every piece of furniture in the house had been moved either a couple inches or a couple of feet. And um, he's like, what do I do here? And we were, the reason we were there is that we were uh, Baha'i, we were members of the Baha'i faith Mm -hmm. and we were kind of uh, pioneers, missionary type of work um, in the area. And, so he read these Baha'i prayers for the dead and the departed, and and it never happened again. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Did you really uh, look up to and admire Seals and Crofts, or was that just a joke in the book? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Are we here to, to shit on Seals and Crofts? Uh. Hummingbird? <laughs> right. Summer right. Breeze. Summer Breeze. No, they yep. were... We looked up to them because they were the famous Baha'is. So we were all Baha'i. We were, you know, to, you know, besides playing the bassoon and being on Model United Nations and having pimples, we were also members of the Baha'i faith, which is very, <laughs> that that really um, outcast you. And um, But Seals and Crofts were top 10 band in the 70s, and they were Baha'is. So we were like, oh, that's so cool. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and Aaron, you worked with Don Rickles. Well, he, we met him at a party. Yeah. Did you, you work know with what? him too? You know, I don't think I ever actually got to work with him. And I loved Rickles. I was obsessed with them, you know. And went to a birthday party one year. It was it was comedian Jeff Ross, who you guys have had on, of course. And uh, this was pretty close to the end of Don's life. And we go in. The, it was all old Hollywood. It was great. It was at... Uh, Buddy Hackett's old house, you know, because Jeff loves that kind of comedy and everything. Oh yeah, he knew though; he loved those guys. Yeah, and Jeff, you know what? Larry Flint was there. My old, my old employer was there. Actually, <laughs> it's the last time I saw him alive. Um, but uh, Jeff said to me, um, "Hey, look, Bob Newhart and Don Rickles are here. You want to meet him?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course." I was so excited. We go over and he introduces them. Bob, Don, great to see you. Thanks for being here. This is my friend Aaron. And Bob Newhart is very friendly and, you know, oh, how nice to meet you. And Don Rickles is sitting there like like a corpse, like completely zoned out, just staring ahead, mouth hanging open. And he's barely like grunts when I say hello, like, uh. and I'm like, oh, this is sad. Like, it's so sad to see him in this. You, you know, you want to. Mm-hmm. And and Jeff is talking, Bob, you were so great on Letterman, Don. And then somebody comes up, to talk to Jeff and he says, oh, will you excuse me for just one minute? And he gets up and turns around to talk to someone. And Don leaps up in his chair and he says to me, who is this guy? I don't know who he is. Who is this yo-yo? He's acting like he knows us. He doesn't even know us. And Jeff turns back around and Don slumps in his chair like a corpse again. And acts like he's out of it. And I fell out of my chair laughing. And Rickles sees this and he, and he does not know me at all. I'm a complete stranger. He does this bit. All night. Every time someone comes up, a woman comes up and is like, just want to say what an honor it is to meet you. You're a legend. He goes, uh. 
And then the second she turns around, he says to me, oh, my God, did you see that one? Jesus, who let the elephant in here? I can't believe it. <laughs> this whole Don thing. And then when someone's looking, goes comatose again. It, doing a bit for a stranger he's never met just to entertain himself. It was great. It reminded me of when you guys had Alan Swibel on. You told that great story about, was it Henny Youngman talking to the yes. pigeon oh, on the yeah, street? The pigeon. When he the doesn't pigeon. know anyone's watching, he, he sees a right. pigeon and he says something like, hey, I got a letter for you. And any mail for me? Yes, exactly. Yeah. These guys yeah. were just, they just. Well, I got i got a Henny Youngman story. So, Oh, my God. Or, or, early, um, early 90s, uh, my friend uh, Chris found Henny Youngman's name in the New York phone book <laughs> and uh, threw a party and gave Henny Youngman $200 to perform at the party. <laughs> and we were at an apartment in the Upper West Side, like 1992. <laughs> And uh, Henny Youngman told like twenty minutes of one-liners, and he's like, <laughs> That's great. and then he wanted his two hundred dollars, and then he he left. Oh my yeah. god! I don't remember any of the jokes, but you know the, all the standards. Take my wife, please, etc. I love that. I yeah. remember hearing Henny Youngman was booked in a gig, and when he was when he finished, he was riding in the elevator, and someone saw him in the elevator and said, "Can you perform at a party we're having?" <laughs> And he got off the elevator. They gave him some money, and he he did two shows that night. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Can you guys name Henny Youngman's uh, horror movie? His 1970s splatter horror movie. Do you know this one, Frank? This is a good trivia question for you. Directed I by don't. Herschel Gordon Lewis. I, I can't believe you've stumped these two. I we, can't believe it. Wow. It's called the Gore Girls. We love Herschel Gordon Lewis. It's called the Gore Gore Girls. And Henny oh, Youngman. Yes, Henny yes, Youngman I performs saw that. in a club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's the he's the act in the club where the murderer is attacking the <laughs> Gore Gore girls. <laughs> I had I had no idea. I did see that movie. And then someone stopped him in the elevator and they said, hey, we're uh, shooting the uh, Return of the Creature from the Black Lagoon in the other studio. Will you come be in that one? Sure. <laughs> 200 <laughs> bucks, I'll do it. <laughs> we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Which leads me to a question, another segue. Mikey Frank, I love Rain from the Office, of course, but if this doesn't come up on the show, I would love to hear his thoughts on House of a Thousand Corpses, working with Rob Zombie or the late great Karen Black, or anything mm. about trans uh, being transformed into a mermaid, even. Uh, yeah, that's that was awesome. This is a crazy business to be in. Uh, when I moved to L.A. from New York, I've been doing theater in New York for a long time. I moved to L.A. in '99 with a comedy show, um, and. One of the first auditions, I, I did a couple small parts. I was in Galaxy Quest and Almost Famous and some small parts. But my next role was like, you have an audition for a horror movie being directed by Rob Zombie. And I, I went into this dingy little office in the valley. On, I, I put myself on tape, you know, and uh, and then 
you, you have a call back and I met with, with Rob and, and Chris Hardwick was the other, my co-star in that. Um, and, uh, I got cast in the lead in this, you know, kind of classic, you know, purposefully B movie horror mm -hmm. movie. And, uh, in which I uh, Sid Haig was in it. Karen Black. Oh, was Sid Haig, Gil. Yeah, yeah. yeah, love him. He's so great. And um, uh, yeah, and Karen Black was in. I remember, you know, I I loved um, Karen Black as a kid, and I was like, oh, I love your work. And she's like, What do you love? And I was like, Well, Five Easy Pieces. And she's like, That was Jack's movie. What did you like about me in that movie? And I was like, Well, you were just great. You were great. She's like. Like what? What scene? What did I do that was great? I was like, I don't remember. I was like, ah, oh, you just remember Jack. And I was like, okay. But she was very nice. She was great. I mean, that was that was not that was atypical of her. She was kind of having fun. But um, you you couldn't call up Trilogy of Terror in a hurry, right? Trilogy yeah. of Terror. Oh, yeah. that's with yeah. those little creatures, the little uh, with the yeah. knives, the little voodoo stuff. creature. Yeah. yeah. So on on the subject of nerd culture, and we're talking about Henny Youngman. Let let's. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in in you guys both kind of discovering comedy, mm. and I think I think in similar ways. I think uh, Rain, you talk in the book about memorizing Python sketches. You got mm -hmm. a great line. Everyone successful in comedy has a secret comedy dork life mm -hmm. in ad in adolescence, which I think is true. Aaron, same thing for you. Discovering comedy albums, Carlin, Steve Martin, yeah, SNL. Yeah, I was thinking about it when when you were talking about your dad bringing you to Seventh Seal. Like my dad introduced me to so much great shit. Then Monty Python, he loved on PBS Saturday Night mm -hmm. Live, and he woke you talking about Seventh Seal when I was around seven years old. You know, you didn't have VCRs yet even, and he woke me up in the middle of the night to watch uh, the original Frankenstein on because it was being aired on New York television, and and he knew like you might not ever get to see this again. That you know that's the way it was then. Yeah, so, there, weren't, there weren't DVDs uh, or VHS. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, that's a good dad. There, yeah, there wasn't even cable. There were four channels. So who yeah. knows when they're going to show Frankenstein, you know? So so he introduced me to, yes, all the comedy records, and, and SCTV was a huge one for me. And I remember seeing Gilbert on Letterman for the first time, doing the Ben Gazzara bit, and that, uh, that blew my mind. And I think I brought this up to you, Frank. The other thing my dad had, he was a hippie. He had National Lampoon, a subscription. I started reading that way inappropriately young. Mm -hmm. And I, I always remember a Gilbert article in an old issue of National Lampoon, a uh, hundred excuses to give if you can't get an erection. <laughs> yeah. And I, do you remember that? I Aaron? do. And I, I maybe can remember three. I can remember one. The pump don't work because the vandal took the handle. <laughs> That's right. That's one of them that I remember. That's from Bob Dylan. <laughs> and another one was I've had many erections when I walked among the living. <laughs> I feel like there's uh, such camaraderie here. I feel like Aaron and uh, Gilbert, you guys should do cocaine and fuck each other. <laughs> and I'll do my Marlon Brando imitation. <laughs> and you can do your Richard Pryor. <laughs> Mudbone. <laughs> Rain, same thing for you? Same kind of discovery? I know, is it you, you and your friend John that discovered yeah. comedy albums together and would do all the Python skits? Yeah, you know, it was the same. It was George, it was Richard Pryor, George Carlin albums. 
Um, and Saturday Night Live, you know, in those yeah. early years, 78, you know, 79. And, um, and Buck just, Henry. Yeah, Buck Steve Henry Martin. and just odd comedians you'd never heard of from really New York underground. And you were seeing like Tom Waits and Ricky Lee Jones before they were ever on the radio. And um, yeah. And we would just re redo the sketches as we remembered them. And um, but like Monty Python, I took a little Panasonic tape recorder, and when it was on, even if it was on like one a.m. on public television, I would record an audio cassette tape of like of sketches, and I would listen to them over and over again. I would memorize them. I would write them out in notebooks. Um, so, but yeah, but that I think that comedy nerds do that. That that there's a when you discover it, it's like, oh, there's this whole world. Um, and, you know, you always hear about comics talk about, like, memorizing, you know, entire mm-hmm. halves of comedy albums, you know, or or radio shows. So, Oh, I, th- I, th- I think we could all do Python bits, chapter and verse, couldn't we, Aaron? <laughs> sure. And, yes. and, the st- and the stuff from Let's Get Small, too, the Steve Martin album. Oh, I, yeah. I remember I used to memorize whole passages of Marx Brothers films. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was another one. Yeah, yeah that was a favorite my, of my dad my, too. Yeah, the my Marx dad. Brothers. My dad turned yeah. me on to Marx Brothers as well. Absolutely. Yeah, Rain. You also cite Keaton and Peter Sellers too in the book. I thought this was interesting, which I was talking about with Gilbert. One thing I will say, and Jerry Lewis, I mentioned in there. I loved Jerry Lewis. I, oh, boy. I loved Jerry Lewis. I know it's not common or popular. I just. I, anything he did, I just I thought he was the best. You're talking about Jerry with Dean or Jerry Solo mostly? All of it. I, I it didn't it didn't matter to me. He just delighted me to no end. You know, uh, me too. I I grew up on Jerry Lewis, and the funny thing about it is, I love the crazy classic crazy Jerry Lewis, and I also. Loved when he was like just himself, this egotistical bastard. <laughs> <laughs> it always was his... heartbroken, heartbreaking to me to watch the Jerry Lewis telethon, and he was corpulent and chain smoking. <laughs> and it's like, wait, <laughs> yeah. he's not, he's not funny anymore. And he would just go no. on and on and kind of chronic windbaggery and. I, it really, it really ruined my idol. I, I imagine that must be like Dwight fans listening to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry would pull out the giant lighter. Remember, Gil? Oh yes, wow. yes. And put the glass, put the drinking glass in his and, mouth, and throw the cigarette in the air and catch it in his mouth was the other thing. <laughs> and but he, I, I remember one time. When I was on Saturday night, uh, me and Piscopo found out he was going to be on Live at Five. So he went over there, and he was everything you wanted Jerry Lewis to be. (laughs) He was, like, doing crazy, knocking stuff on the ground, laughing, doing crazy shit. And then he goes on camera, and, like, the jaw tightens up. And, you know, it's, it's like the filmmaker, Jerry. <laughs> the cineast. Yeah. 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 Martin Short always said the key to imitating late Jerry was to be pretending to be sucking on a lozenge, an imaginary lozenge. That gives you that serious, serious Jerry. <laughs> Did you meet Jerry at any point in your travels, either of you? God, no. 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 
Yeah. Gil- Gilbert was fortunate. He did not. Yeah. Uh, he did I've not met him a couple them. of times, and people like that in the business where you have to preface it with, well, he was always nice to me, meaning I know he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's that great Hollywood Reporter interview with him towards the end of his life. You can YouTube it where the he just busts the interviewer's balls where the guy is like, of all your films, you know, could you tell me your absolute favorite? No. Next question. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, the telethon. You, you love doing the telethon. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. It's, and he says, uh, did you ever think of retiring? And he goes, Why? <laughs> and it's scary because you Very see scary. that other side of Jerry Lewis. Yes. How bad did you ever want to see the day the clown cried? His do you know oh about that? God, His yeah. Nazi oh, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, His, no, the scripts of the scripts available. And now there's clips on YouTube too. Yeah, yeah. I've some seen clips. some clips, but never saw that. How did whole it get thing. out of the vault? I thought I, it was like in a vault or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Speaking Ray, of we vaults, were... whatever happened to all of J.D. Salinger's books he was supposed to have written? He died a long time ago. I'm waiting for some more Salinger here. It's a good question. I don't know. Gil- Gilbert and I were tickled by this, too, on the subject of classic comedians. You playing Alvy Singer early in your career. Oof. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Terrible career choice. So I went to acting school at NYU. It's not much of a story. I'll see if I can gussy it up a little bit. Maybe I can bring a... <laughs> A shitting monkey into it, but um, please do. But or tell or tell so, us about Pacino too, if you want. When, yeah, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> that that's good. That's good. Um, so when you go to a fancy acting school in New York, there's these presentations you do at the end of the year for all the agents and casting directors and producers in the city, and it's all this pressure is put on you, and. I couldn't find any scenes to do for this. I was, I know this is going to sound terribly pretentious, but because I was playing the Dane, I was playing Hamlet at the time. <laughs> Sorry. And um, uh, so I was a huge Woody Allen fan in, the, in my comedy nerddom, of course. So I did a scene from Annie Hall, which was just the worst thing to do. Most, because... <laughs> You know, it's 80%, 85% Jewish audience who revere Woody Allen. And here's this nerdy, gawky, six foot two suburban Seattle kid doing a terrible uh, Woody Allen impersonation. Um, I didn't get a single call. I didn't get a single nibble. No agent wanted to meet with me. I completely bombed and uh, somehow or other kind of salvaged a career out of it. <laughs> What's the, do you remember the scene you did by chance? Yeah, it was, uh, there's a spider in your bathroom the size of a Buick. Yeah. Oh, very good. Coming over to kill the spider scene. Yeah. Can, can you do it in character? Right now? Yes. I'm not a trained monkey. <laughs> <laughs> but I will shit in the kitchen. I don't know. I don't remember how to do it. I can't do that. I can't what do about that. doing Salome? Because you know what? Woody Allen is canceled. And you know what? How dare you even bring that up? Exactly. I'm so Gilbert. offended. <laughs> what about Salome with Pacino? That that was fascinating. Oh, my God. That was one of the To great... read about. So Pacino kept reviving this production of Salome. He was obsessed with the play Salome by Oscar Wilde, which is not a very good play. And it's 
in these rhyming couplets, and it's about the, you know, Salome seducing and chopping off the head of John the Baptist. And um, there was this little subplot in the beginning of the play with, with this page and this guard who love each other. Um, and I played the page in a way too skimpy outfit, like kind of revealing every, everything about my <laughs> gawky body. And then... <laughs> And then once I had my little love scene with this guard, I sat there with a literally holding an urn on my knees in the corner, and then Pacino did the whole play. So it's an hour and a half play. So it's my my little scene, and then watching Pacino work for you know the next seventy eighty minutes, and I'm just there looking out sideways out of my eyes at watching Al Pacino in this terrible play, and he's playing like. <laughs> I don't know. How do you do Pacino? I can't. I keep going to Brando. Like, well, well it's not that dissimilar. I guess like, you know Pacino. You, yeah, you go to the. But he would be like Salome. <laughs> I will give you peacocks. I will give you gold because he was trying to seduce this temptress Salome. Like, I will give you. And we would always joke like, I will give you Knicks tickets. <laughs> <laughs> but but what was amazing about him is that. The people were paying $90 a ticket to go see this uh, pretty mediocre production. And there were nights he was on fire. And there were nights he just blew the roof off the place. And he gave the performance. And there would be standing ovations. There would be other nights he would so completely phone it in that you could barely hear him. I would be on the <laughs> stage. I could barely hear him. And I don't know what the hell he was thinking <laughs> or doing. He was just like rehearsing in front of an audience, I think, essentially – but um, and I always just remember feeling so bad, like God, looking out at the audience, like, God, all those people paid ninety dollars to watch this uh, terrible Pacino dressed biblically. It's all in the biblical times. That's fascinating that his performance would run the gamut. I, I, I am from, not from a exaggerating to not even being there. I'm really not exaggerating at all. I was exaggerating about the monkey stuff, but the, <laughs> but. You know, it was it was a lights out performance of the century to like just dreadful, boring dreck. There um, must have been a lot of arguments with people where somebody would say, "I saw Pacino; he was incredible. You got to go see." It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's> like... <laughs> exactly. By the way, have you heard Gilbert's uh, Gilbert do Hervé Villachez in Scent of a Woman? Oh, God. oh please. Okay. Because you haven't lived. Ah, your name is Daphne. I could tell that from the southern accent. And you're wearing Chanel number five. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. You're right. You haven't lived until you've heard that. That's fantastic. How the hell did you guys meet in the first place? And Aaron, does this connect to the the is this the Spirit Awards and the Philip Seymour Hoffman story? That was the first time Rain and I ever worked together. After you know meeting through comedy world contacts and all that kind of yeah. stuff, and having mutual friends, and uh... and I got asked to host the uh, Independent Spirit Awards, um, which uh, I haven't seen it recently, but it's a it was a cool award show back in its day. It was really yeah. edgy and. All the stars would be there. It was the night before the Oscars or the day before the Oscars. And um, and uh, they kind of let you do whatever the hell you wanted to do. And I was like, shit, I'm gonna, okay, this is great, but I, I need a writer. Oh, Aaron has done 
he did the Kid Rock's Christmas special. <laughs> Get him. And he said, are you hot with Fre- Fernando Lamas? So, Lorenzo. Lorenzo Lamas. Okay, whatever, Lamas. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we worked together on that award show. It was really fun. Uh, and it, I was – it really – not many people saw it, but until to my grave, I will take that that was one of the, the better things I've ever been involved with. Yeah. Dennis, yeah. We had Dennis Hopper on it. We had – Ed Begley Jr. We you we know. did a, an opening film where Dennis Hopper was going to teach Rain to be an independent film star, so he dressed up Rain in a in hooker clothes and yeah. a wig, and I was a uh, John who stood on the corner and yeah. Dennis Hopper pimped Rain out to me. Yeah, and and, and I I vomited up the <laughs> this the the imaginary semen after blowing me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and that was this is the opening of this award show. It's a hip award show. Then Dennis Hopper took a condom full of heroin and stuffed it down Rain's throat to make him a drug mule. And <laughs> and the best part, I don't know if you remember this, Rain, we would pitch these things to Hopper like, and then you're gonna take a condom full of heroin and Dennis Hopper would go, Whoa, that's pretty wild, but okay. <laughs> and I'm like, You're Dennis Hopper. I know you've done all this. Come on. And then do you remember that we had lunch at Dennis Hopper's house? Um, oh yeah, in Venice, right? Yeah, and he took us over, and he, his art collection was just like jaw dropping, like Basquiat's and yeah. Mondrian's, and like and it was like a museum. Yeah, it was fun. And the and the story I was telling you, Frank, was that I had a joke in the opening monologue where Rain goes, um, "Wow, look at this crowd! Independent film stars: Steve Buscemi, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman." And then Rain stops and he goes, "Oh, it's weird to be the best looking guy in the room." And then there's like a laugh. <laughs> And then and then I told Rain to turn away like Rickles and go, what's Phil Hoffman doing? Is he coming at me? Anyway, so so Rain does this. And when Philip Seymour Hoffman went up to accept his award, he said, I'm going to go kick the shit out of Rain Wilson. That was like his good night. So then all night, Rain and I kept writing insults of Philip Seymour Hoffman to... <laughs> and and we didn't have a close for the show, so I said to Rain, like, what if the, you said, ladies and gentlemen, good night, Philip Seymour Hoffman, prepare to die, and you jump off the stage and you start beating him up? And Rain said, well, if you ask him, he's like, I'm not going to ask him. If you go ask Phil Hoffman if he'll do this. So I have to go interrupt him in the middle of his dinner and say, Mr. Hoffman, big fan, uh, really admire. He's sitting like next to Annette Benning. Yes, and, like- and, and Brad Pitt. And I'm like, would it be okay if Rain jumps off stage and starts beating you up at the end of the show? And he and he said to me, tell Rain as long as he comes for real, as long as he doesn't like fake it, as long as he lays ready to fight. And I said, okay. And that was the end of the show was Rain jumping into this award show crowd, <laughs> knocking Phil over Phil tables, yep. wrestling yeah. Phillips. He, it was so great. He was so. And, and, and he, of course, he pinned me right away. He was pretty big back then. And then I read that he had been on the high school wrestling team. <laughs> yeah. Another nerd. Yeah. And, and, and Aaron, <laughs> you said that when you used to, when you'd write on the Comedy Central roasts. Yes. What would happen when you came up with a really completely tasteless joke? It would go to you. <laughs> That's what would happen. You were you were my absolute favorite right for it Get because Godfrey to, re- to tell it. There, yeah. He'll do it. There, well, there's a couple of reasons. One is I'd go, okay, he'll say anything. Other he'll make jokes more obscene. <laughs> you'll come and he'll make them worse than they were. And I knew if I wrote a joke comparing Kathy Griffin to Swamp Thing, 
you would know who Swamp Thing was. I wouldn't have to explain the nerdy reference. So you were the absolute most fun to write for. No question. Yeah, it's like when they come up with a joke and every other person on the show said, no, this is a joke that'll destroy my career. <laughs> yes, this is I hurtful. would go, oh, I'll do it. <laughs> Gilbert, you're like the kid in school that eats the paste. Yes. yes no, no, self, no self-control, no filter. What is the story, uh, Aaron, about the Pam Anderson roast and, and, uh, and B. Arthur? Oh, God. Well... Well, here's the funny thing about being like a nerdy comedy writer working on a show like Family Guy. People really do come and they do say to go like, oh, you guys must be high all day to come up with that stuff. And no one's high (laughs) in the Family Guy writers room. It's a bunch of nerds. And but the one time in my entire entertainment industry career that I ever did use a substance at work was all the rehearsals for the Pam Anderson roast were done. They were finished, and my co-head writer, a very talented guy, Ray James, he said, hey, the rehearsals are oh, done. Funny it's all guy, done. Ray James. Amazing. And he said, let's smoke some pot. We've got nothing else to do. And and I said, okay, sure. So we smoked pot, got high. We're sitting in the empty offices playing guitar. And suddenly the phone rings, and it was like an emergency call from the producer. B. Arthur has arrived, and she wants to unexpectedly you know, rehearse her stuff. And there was a, a really obscene anal sex joke that they wanted me to pitch her on the spot. They were afraid to send it to her, but they said, you have to go tell her this joke oh, no. where you read a section from Pam Anderson's book about how to have anal sex. And Pam Anderson says in there, it's like holding in a fart. And the joke is that and the joke is that B. Arthur is supposed to say, I wonder what that feels like. I've never done it. I've never held in a fart. Okay, that's, that's the joke. So, so I'm brought, I'm brought to this soundstage, high, flying high, and brought over to be. This is B. Arthur, and she's a foot taller than me, and I have to pitch this whole thing. I get to the punchline. I've never done that held in a fart, and she looked at me and she went, "Oh no!" and stormed away. <laughs> and I was. To her credit, the next night, this is the best part. She did the joke. She she went ahead and did the joke. It was fantastic. But so God love B. Arthur. What a what a trooper. Wow. Yeah. I think that was the roast. Was that the was that the same roast where Jeff did that infamous line? Oh my God. Where Courtney Love got up and attacked him. Right. Yeah, he said. He said, how does Courtney Love look worse than Kurt Cobain today? Yeah. <laughs> or something She's like the girl that. next door. Oh, no. uh, she got right up and charged him. Just like She's the girl right next door him. if you live next door to a methadone clinic. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys watch those? We, we had Gabe Kaplan here a couple of weeks ago, and he, he was a fixture on the old Dean Martin roasts. And oh I know you guys, I know, Rain, you talked about, you know, uh, early in your life watching those Carson monologues. Mm-hmm. You know, appointment television. Did you guys watch those roasts in the old days? Those stilted, badly executed roasts? I I never did, but I have seen those infomercials where they... Oh, yeah. Have you seen the infomercials where they're plugging the DVDs Mm -hmm. of the Dean Martin roasts? But but they go... You feel like you're watching them because they just go on and on and on. So you feel like, oh, I've got... Yes, those are. You're, you're an Orson Welles guy, and he's all over those things. He is. Yeah, he is. Who's yeah, that guy? Who's like... that? Gr- the great uh, comedian who pretended to be drunk better than anyone. Foster oh, Brooks. Foster oh, Brooks. Oh my God, he was he was a genius. I think. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. he was great. He was amazing. On, on those roasts, though, they would have, like, you know, Gary Coleman roasting Orson Welles. <laughs> and you go, like, What's, <laughs> what is the connection here? Yeah. And I... they said on those roasts, like, everybody, they would be shooting, like, one person one week, and the next person, like, the next, they weren't together. Yeah, they would just cut together the reaction shots of 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 Johnny Carson doing a spit take. <laughs> they'd make yeah. they'd make Phyllis sit Diller sit there for six hours just doing reaction shots, and then cut them all. No one was yeah, in Gabe, the room together. Gabe at the same told time. us they no weren't kidding. in the room together. Uh, often, often, no one was in the room. Yeah. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. That's some amazing. some some jokes from the Comedy Central roast that Gilbert did, and I know you said to me, Aaron, that you can't remember it. So many years later, you can't remember who wrote what all the time. Sure. But Gilbert's bit, uh, the Bob Saget joke, I saw his special in high def, because you have to be either high or deaf to enjoy it. <laughs> that's a wonderful joke. That's an amazing joke. Yeah. And the leprechaun <laughs> bit with Brad, with Brad Garrett and Mario. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember giving any giving Gilbert anything specific? Well, sure. Other I, than the one we can't talk about, sure, absolutely. I won't. I won't bring that up. I won't bring that up. Although it is my favorite, it is my proudest. Yeah. But I won't bring it up because we all want to. We all want to work in this industry. Um, I do remember one I gave that I was like, talk about something no one else would do. It was Jane Lynch from Glee hosting the roast of Roseanne, and. She comes up, she introduced Gilbert Gottfried, everyone, and Gilbert comes up, and it was some long thing I wrote where it was like, I hope you I hope you can hear the sound of my voice. So many pubic hairs have flown from between the teeth of Jane Lynch that they've covered the mic and muffled the sound. It was so obscene and awful and went on for five minutes. And and uh, and he did the whole thing, and it, it, it blew my mind. <laughs> I, you know what he said? He said he said between every commercial break, they have to hose down the front row of people here because they're covered in pubic hairs. They've shot from her mouth with such velocity. Yes, and then he says, I, "So I apologize if my voice is, if you'll allow me to say, muffled." <laughs> Oh man! Oh, and what's the quickly? We'll, we'll, we'll move past the roast, but this is good stuff. Uh, the the Shatner Betty White interaction. Oh the Shat, God, the Shatner that roast, was great. You... you know that is actually speaking of me having to go up to a an an elder comedic genius woman and pitch something awful. The same thing happened with Betty White, and that exchange is actually on video. It's a an extra on the Shatner roast DVD, where I had to go pitch a joke to Betty. Where I say, um, hey, Betty, here's the joke. You say, you know, I actually had sex with William Shatner once. Oh, it, it was unbelievable. You should have seen him. Red in the face, wheezing. And finally, I popped his dick out of my mouth and said, Bill, they're about to start the roast. You, you know, <laughs> hurry up. So I pitched this to her. I pitched this to her. And without a beat, she looks at me and says, honey, I never talk with my mouth full. And, and she just changed the joke. She said, he's got to be on top of me, not his dick in my mouth. Just he can be. And I said, OK, great. So she did the joke. Wow. She's a great. She her. laughs at herself. Oh, she she was she was amazing. Yeah, that yeah. was that was one of the that was a super fun one. Yeah, that was great. I, to, I told you that one I wrote at the Friars in New York. 
about her that Joy did. And she loved it so much. Betty White's so old, and uh, her vagina is so old and dry, there are still Jews wandering in it. Oh, and she, she, she loved it and made Joy tell her that joke over and over again. Lisa Lampin only had that amazing joke about Betty at that roast where she said she's so old on her first game show, the prize was fire. That's a great joke. <laughs> That's a great joke. <laughs> uh, here's Those were question. fun times. Yeah. I'm glad Gilbert was uh, was the right muse for you. Oh, always, always, just you know, always wa- on the watching. Park. I was telling uh, Aaron when we were turning the mics on before watching Carl Reiner of all people, venerable, respected elder statesman Carl Reiner, is sitting there reacting as Gilbert is talking about Joan Rivers spreading open her legs and being blinded by a flurry of bats, and it's just <laughs> you gotta you gotta go look at his face. <laughs> He <laughs> looks like he got hit by a with a wiffle ball yeah. bat. Uh, he wrote the Dick Van Dyke show. Yeah, the man who wrote and the Dick Van Dyke show. Another joke in the Joan Rivers one that Joan Rivers is so old that her breasts. Oh, are, oh that was Cloris Leachman. Oh, Cloris Leachman. Cloris right. Leachman so old her breasts are uh, marked uh, colored and whites only. Right. <laughs> And then you ad-libbed a Nipsey Russell line on top yes. of that. And I, I yeah, I said, uh, and to watch Nipsey Russell get chased away from our breast was a shameful time in this country's history. We can, I think we can use some of this material. Robin A. says, to me, it looked like Rain was really enjoying himself playing Harry Mudd. Uh, is there any chance he might return to one of the Star Trek shows? And here's a weird one. What is the most Harry Mudd thing Rain has done in real life? What? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so in the reboot, reimagining of this new uh, kind of woke Star Trek, I play um, uh, I played Harry Mudd, who was one of my favorite characters, in a couple episodes. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was super fun. Uh, I love Trek and... Um, to play that kind of reimagined classic character from the original series was Roger C. Carmel's old character. That's right. Yeah. Roger C. Carmel. And uh, it was amazing. Um, It was great. And um, yeah, I pitched him. I was like, Hey, bring me back. I think Harry Mudd should have a spinoff or be on another show or something like that. And they just, they didn't nibble. So I don't know. I don't know what to say, but uh, I'd love to do more. Uh, Sam Weisberg says, Rain, <clears throat> I wanted your true opinion of the Longmont Potion Castle doc. Oh. You co-produced and appeared in. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think it was very good. Yeah. But, uh, I, I just want to, do you guys know Longmont Potion Castle? You guys? We do not. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is like, how do I say it? He's like the, uh, Salvador Dali of prank calling. Mm. Oh wow! And he lives in Colorado, and he does just really um, insane crank calls. And he never goes for like the obvious laugh, which he could do, kind of like what were they called, the Jerky Boys or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But he 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 plays with the sound, and he just torments people. And he he has uh, multiple calls of him calling Alex Trebek. Somehow he got Alex Trebek's number, <laughs> and um, and uh, Dave Keckner. 
he was calling him for a while and I was a huge fan of Longmont Potion Castle and I've kind of heard everything he did. So I, w- I was happy to support a documentary on him, but I don't think it turned out very well. But I just love more people to learn about him. Gil, we don't even know. We, we're huge fans of prank calls. We don't even know about this person. Yeah, listen to uh, the Clown Motel as a starting one. And there's one about millipedes. If you look at the millipedes one, he'd always call people like, yeah, we got a delivery down at the dock. Uh, we got to create 1,200 millipedes from the Philippines. Are there? We need you to sign. We need you to pay for them. Three hundred seventy-nine dollars, and he just uh, takes it from there. What's his name? Longmont Potion Castle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a great name. Talk about Dark Air with Terry Carnation, which you guys created Finally, together. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> We're an hour and a half into this thing. Oh, my God. Well, we had to tell a bunch of jokes that will end my career being repeated yeah. in 2021. <laughs> the fact that I took credit for them. Uh, so, yeah, so um, Aaron and I in our comedy nerddom were really huge fans of uh, uh, Steve Coogan and Alan Partridge and the uh, Alan Partridge character and... I just love that idea of like someone who has a character that they, you know, they have their acting career, but they kind of continually dip back into the well of playing a, you know, a, an interesting uh, comedic character. It almost becomes their alter ego. Mm-hmm. And so we've, we, were, we spent years talking about it. I mean, we were ta- talking about it in 2015, 16. And, you know, what would that be like to create something similar to that? And then we came up with the name Terry Carnation. And then we knew he wanted him to be kind of in the seedier elements of Hollywood, uh, you know, living off of Hollywood Boulevard over in like Franklin, back when it was more run down. I mean, it's, uh-huh. it's kind of nicer now. Mm-hmm. And um, we talked about him maybe being a horror writer or, or like a B movie producer or writer. Yeah. 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 Horror and movies. Then, and then um, and then we were talking about Art Bell and Coast to Coast AM. And we were both fans of that. I, You know. Aaron's a, a true nerd fan and has listened to hundreds of hours of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the paranormal AM radio late night call-in show, and we thought, oh, that would be so such a great milieu for Terry to be in. He could also you know, tangentially be part of Hollywood. But so it just kind of this evolved into this character and this situation. And I had this idea of like that his wife has died, but on his first on his return back to the radio. The voice of his dead wife calls into his paranormal call-in show, and mm-hmm. what you know, what kind of trail of dominoes would that you know set into motion? And uh, uh, and so we were like, ah, should we do it as a TV show? Should we, you know, um, how should we do this? And we and then we landed on trying it out as a podcast to kind of because I didn't really know what the character was to help find the character and and explore the world and. And try something both really new because it's not really done much, but it's also mm-hmm. very old, right, Aaron? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm like a obsessive old time radio fan, and and it's funny, and I've seen a lot of people online writing about Terry Carnation being this scripted podcast. I didn't even think of it at the time, like, oh, this is like the old radio stuff I'm obsessed with, but but I'm like an obsessive Jack Benny fan, and. And love love all the love all the old radio stuff. So it was a really cool experience for us to do this entire thing in shutdown, recording from people's closets and stuff like that. Like never never got anyone together in the same room and got all these great comedy people involved in it. Yeah, yeah, 
lot of we had uh, Kevin Smith and Thomas Lennon. Tom, yeah, and we had Nathan Fillion was on it. Nathan and, Fillion, um, yeah, Sam uh, Neill. Yeah, yeah, great, yeah. Uh, it's very good. I got it Susan's, is it is as I got you Susan say, Aaron. It's kind of theater of the mind. Yeah, very much so. I got Susan Sarandon to do the the, the credits read <laughs> to read the credits. Yes. She it's says, great. hi, this is Academy Award-winning a- a- actress Susan Sarandon. <laughs> this episode is entitled blah, 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 blah. So-and-so was the producer. So-and-so played the part. <laughs> and then she started saying things like, how many of these do I have to do? That I don't know if it was scripted or not or if she was just, yeah, it was great. That's but hilarious. yeah, so we did 15 episodes. And now you're in it as the, as the shrink. I'm Dr. Norman Kesden. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is only because yeah. we didn't want to pay actors. Because we're cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just remember you, you've done fifteen, and you're going to keep doing them. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, we're, uh, un, season two is unclear. You know, I'm not sure if we kind of pitch it as a TV show or a special or a movie or go do another a season of the pod. It, it was a, it ended up being way more work than oh either of us thought it was going to be. We thought, oh, how hard can it be? We'll outline a bunch of episodes. We'll get friends to write them. Uh, pay them a little bit, then we get on a Zoom. Everyone records their stuff. We edit it together. Boom, you're done. But uh, sounds sounds easier than uh, than the reality. It was really hard. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's a shitload of yeah. work. It's been very I, difficult I to record. I just remember there was a joke. I think Comedy Central cut it out <laughs> of the roast that <laughs> uh, Pamela Anderson's vagina. It's so stretched out, it moves around like those inflatable men at the car lot. <laughs> that one got cut, eh? <laughs> that's over the line. Oh, now that bats can fly out of Joan Rivers, but <laughs> we're cutting that. That's fantastic. Rain, I want to sing the praises of the rocker. Okay. Uh, which That's it? We're done with the podcast? That's what we're here <laughs> That's to... it. <laughs> we just moved on. We went to Pamela Anderson's vagina, and now we're going to the rocker. That's it. Let's go, Aaron. We don't go, do, seg- we don't do segues. Here. We don't do segues yeah, on this show. Apparently not. Yeah. Uh, so but, listen uh, to uh, Dark Air of Terry Carnation if you like <laughs> comedy, old-fashioned radio shows, scripted Jack Benny-like comedy uh, gussied up in the world of uh, Coast to Coast AM and, and Art Bell. Yeah. Thank you. That's my pitch. Now, what was your question, Frank? The Rock. <laughs> I wanted to ask about Hesher and the nice things that were said about you by uh, some critics. I think it was Roger Ebert mm. paid you a very nice compliment comparing you to, to uh, Bill Murray and Christopher Walken. Wow, that's it's nice. A, it's, it's a great, dark, sad performance. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I thought you were asking about The Rocker, though. Well, I'm, I just was jumping around, but I also okay. want to ask about The Rocker. Okay, yeah. Hesher, yeah. And a, I have done uh, some magnificent work of scintillating drama in uh, dozens <laughs> of movies that no one has seen. No one <laughs> has seen. Like, more people have seen an outtake of, like, Dwight sneezing on YouTube that have seen all of the other films <laughs> have done collectively. <laughs> so, well, I, you would think The Rocker is a film that's going to be, if it's not already, being reevaluated. I mean, these are films that pick up audiences as the years go by. They they become yeah. more popular. Yeah, I mean, people I know hold that movie uh, with a soft spot in their heart. I mean, I think it's hard to kind of find. As they should. I don't know where they 
But I, I thought it was a terrific little film. You know, it was. It, I, I write about it in my book about how devastating it was because it totally bombed at the box office. I mean, big time bomb, and. Um, uh, it was on 2,000 theaters, and it came in 12th on its opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, like, really, really bad. And uh, um, But I will say the critics were just merciless with it because they thought we were trying to do School of Rock because there was an older... Mm-hmm. There was an older character, and there were younger characters, and they were making rock and roll music. And beyond that, there was no real similarity. Um and uh, that's it, a sweet movie with a good message that yeah that you're, you're never too old to, to give up on your dream yeah exactly yeah it's a fun and it's fun got a great cast comedy. and Pete Best shows up that's right mm-hmm. yeah Pete Best uh, did Pete you Best talk sh- to him yeah I hung out with Pete Best for a whole day you know and um, I think his life was pretty sad I mean he tours around with the Pete Best Orchestra. But I think then he started getting residuals because they did all these re-releases of early Beatles stuff, like on companion discs and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So he started, I think all of a sudden he started really getting paid and, and feeling great. much better, which was a good outcome there. But yeah, very nice uh, gentleman and uh, what a pleasure. Because that's a strange life and a strange career. Did, did he ever talk about being fired? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we we, we interviewed him about it and... He's very open to talking about it, you know, and I, I don't remember. He's just very, he's like, yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, we all played together and the manager didn't think that I fit in with the band and wanted me fired. And then I was let go. And Because you, you hear different stories. You hear conflicting stories that John was threatened by his his uh, uh, his way with women. Or that he, you know, that he wasn't a good enough drummer. There, there, yeah. there have been so many, so many versions of yeah. that over yeah. the years. Yeah, it's hard to get at the truth. Here's one for you, Aaron. Quickly from another uh, listener, Andrew Laposha. To uh, Aaron's knowledge, has anyone ever declined a Comedy Central roast? Oh God, yes, that happens. <laughs> they have to try 15 people to get someone to foolishly sign on for that. Yeah, yes, I know. I mean. I wouldn't do it. I mean, I'm not famous enough to do it, but I wouldn't do it. To, yeah, to be. Why would I sign up for people <laughs> making jokes about my big head and my weird face and? Uh, yeah, actually, very yelling. little payoff. Yes, like I just and I sit there and listen. To, I was like, I, 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 it was called the yeah. Rain Wilson comedy roast. Was con- my high school. That was. <laughs> but anyways, you said what were you saying? God, I remember for my bachelor party, like comedians going, "We're having a roast of you, Aaron, because you're the roast guy." And I was like, "Oh, great!" And I sat there for two hours, and I hated it. I was like, "This is hurting my feelings. <laughs> they're they're mean." Two <laughs> hours? Well, it wasn't two hours, but it was long. Oh God, it was brutal. So no, I don't know why anyone ever agrees, but sure. I mean, one one person I remember who. It looked like it was going to happen for uh, a couple days, and they were freaking out. They were so excited, and it all fell apart. Was Kanye West? I remember. Ooh. I remember Kanye agreed to it, or I think for a minute, and then it didn't wow. happen. I remember Willie Nelson didn't happen, which was a big disappointment. Oh, um, that would have been good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, th- wow. Sam Jackson, he's one. Um, what about Trump? Well, they did it. Uh, Trump they did agreed. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trump agreed. Trump was one of my favorite roasts i gotta say like because it was in new york and the audience was crazy gilbert was there the audience was really rowdy and the the 
reality TV star The Situation from Jersey Shore got up and did a set and got booed off the stage. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Which would never happen in L.A. Like, L.A. crowds are so polite, and in New York, they just went berserk. So I got to say, that was was really fun. I got one question about Dwight uh, Rain, which is, it's interesting, too. Uh, An acting teacher of yours told you that he thought you should that you would make hay in your career playing misfits and outsiders, and you took that advice to heart. And and also, it's very interesting the parts you didn't get where the dominoes fell and led to to Dwight. You didn't get the part in Arrested Development. Yeah, and, Will Arnett's and, part. And, and, yeah. yeah, and we had Richard Benjamin here last week, and he was talking about, he did a series called He and She with his wife, and he was, and that show was quickly canceled. And he was talking about how if that, if that show had caught on and he became a TV star, he may not have had a movie career. So it's very interesting the things that don't happen. But those stories happen so much in 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 Hollywood, and I guess in life too. You know, I'm so uh, elite and out of touch with real life that I wouldn't know how that works in the outside world. But like, you know, my part on Six Feet Under, I got to do 13 episodes of this really amazing character. That was mm-hmm. the fifth character I auditioned for. So I was auditioning for gay choir member number three and dead body number four and, you know, funeral mortuary uh, attendant number two and all these small, tiny little roles. And I kept not getting cast. I really just wanted to be on the show. I loved the show. It was on HBO, and which was blowing up at the time. And... um and then I saw it on the on the breakdown lying on the table. I saw on the, the, the character description of Arthur, and I was like, "Oh my God, I could totally do that character." Uh, it was a Peter Sellers like odd, alienated mortician, and so I asked the casting director. I just, I, I you know, I, I summoned the courage, and I was like, "Do you think I could audition for that?" And I got permission, and then that's the part I got. So, had I gotten gay choir member number three, you know, with with three lines, um, I never would have gotten to play Arthur Martin, which led to Dwight. Right, because Greg Daniels to, was a fan of Six wa- Feet yeah, Under. Yeah, yeah, and he had watched yeah. all, the, all the episodes of it. And um, You know, I know awards aren't everything, and I know awards are mostly meaningless. And Aaron, as a guy who's written award shows, would probably agree. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but watching the show all these years, and the most watched show under lockdown, by the way, sure. the, the Office, how, how you and Carell were, were not... Uh, given uh, awards for for your performances is uh, it's it's criminal. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Jeremy Piven has his statues, and um, <laughs> we honor him and uh, and his uh, incredible work as Ari Gold, and uh, which stands the test of time. And, I say um, to my wife, I've never seen actors. I mean, I know you know commitment. I, I I've never seen actors commit. To a piece the way you and Carell commit, oh, that's, you know, that's the, very nice, the, you, giving birth to the watermelon, the Mussolini speech. There's so many moments. I'm sure people talk about the scene where you beat yourself up. Sure, yeah. in the office. Yeah. I mean yeah. the commitment and the and also the range of those characters compared to not to disparage Alec Baldwin on on Thirty Rock, but but the range and the depth of of Michael Scott. Yeah. And, and and Dwight and those performances. Anyway, I had to get that out. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's that's very kind. Thanks. It's also interesting too how 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 much luck is involved in a show staying on the air. That that Kevin Riley and and Bob Wright's son 
were both pivotal people yes. in keeping the office on the air, much the way an executive named Rick Ludwin was a fan of Seinfeld and shepherded that and protected it from the network. Mm, it's yeah. very interesting how these things happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, how much luck is involved? Bob Wright was the chairman of General Electric, which had just bought, isn't that funny? Their stock is like $3.81, General Electric. But they bought NBC at the time. And um, and uh, we were on the verge of getting canceled. And Bob Wright's son was just going to college and he watched all the shows and he just, and he watched The Office and then he brought his friends over and they watched The Office the first season, those first couple episodes over and over again. He was like, this is the, this is the show. And they just barely kept us hanging on. So thank you, Bob Wright's son, wherever you are. It's amazing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. How many dominoes have to fall? We've asked a lot of actors that have been on this show this question. Could some, in your opinion, could somebody like Gilbert pull off a dramatic role? Did you ask Gabe Kaplan this? No. <laughs> <laughs> we asked Bob Balaban and Alan Arkin and uh, Griffin oh, Dunn good. and yeah. people like yeah. that. Okay. Um, what about Pivot? Did we didn't ask, have Pivot. You didn't ask Pivot? <laughs> Um, How could you not have the great Jeremy Piven, the award-winning the- actor? <laughs> He's won two two Emmy awards. I know. Multiple Emmy winner, Pivs. Jeremy Piven. Haven't had um, Alec Baldwin yet either. Yeah, I think Gilbert would be great in a dramatic role. I honestly believe that. I think you got to find you know, the right role. Uh, it probably would involve being some kind of serial killer, but I think that... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I honestly believe that, that uh, I think some of the great... Dramatic performances are are done by you know comedic actors. Um, True, and uh, you have to kind of tailor the tailor the role to their you know to their quirks. But uh, absolutely, let's do there it. There you let's, go, Gil. Yeah. Let's make this think? happen. What a compliment! That oh, thank you. Somebody said I can't remember. Was it Alan Arkin who said you should play Willie Loman? <laughs> you, Gil. That, I'm not that, talking to Rain. That, that's. <laughs> Boy, that brought silence. <laughs> now, let's do yeah. How about, but do you guys remember Hervé Villachez's Willie Loman? Do you remember that? Oh. And when he died, he died the death of a salesman with his uh, pink bedroom slippers. <laughs> Nice setup. By the way, you and Gilbert, you probably don't even know this, Rain. You and Gilbert share a screen credit. You are both in a show or a movie. I guess it's a movie. Well, maybe maybe it's a series. The High Fructose Adventures of Amazing Orange. Oh, yeah, sure. My son son was like four years old. He loved that show, that animated show, Amazing Orange, about a talking orange that was created from some YouTube video. Mm -hmm. And so I went and did some voices. Um so that we could share that with my son. And, and uh, Gilbert and I were in the same episode then? Gilbert was Alfalfa, and you were Dr. Poe. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's where they did that trick. Um, what was the original cartoon that did the superimposed oh, mouths? Clutch Cargo. Oh, Clutch Cargo. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. the mouth. Yeah, the, the filming the mouth. Right. Did you have approval over your mouth filming? <laughs> See that callback? See what I, I did there? That. See how I, I brought that sure, back? Very I'm good. sure my agents would have demanded 
Before we get out of here and get your guys' plugs, uh, Aaron, a few words about the late, great McPadden. And, uh, and we mentioned it in the intro, uh, not only the podcast, um, Crackpot Cinema, but a long friendship. Oh, yeah. Mike. That went back, that went back years. And I know Rain was on the show as well. Mm. That's right. You were on the podcast with us. Mike you forced McBeardo. poor Rain to watch that Gary Coleman movie. On oh. the right track with Gary oh, Coleman. God. Yes, that was. I'll never get that two hours back. <laughs> that was rough. Um, Mike, but you know, that's the kind of movie that Mike loved. Mike was the one of us who gave it a thumbs up. And I remember you were mortified. You were yeah. like, how could yeah. you like this movie? Yeah. Um, but Mike, uh, you know, yeah, Mike McPadden wrote amazing film books like teen movie hell and uh, heavy metal movies. And he loved this podcast too. I believe I introduced him to it mm-hmm. and yes. he immediately, Thank you for that. yeah, absolutely. And he was like, he'd never loved anything so much. And he contacted you guys and he said, I'll, as far as I know, he said, I'll be involved, whatever you need, whatever you want. And, um, and oh God. And he just, he loved being a part of it. And yeah, he was my absolutely dearest. He did, he did social media for them, or he, he yeah, did all the social media. Yeah, ran our media. Facebook page. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, and uh, you know, I met Mike when I was, I think, nineteen years old, through doing fanzines, and we got on the phone, and just instantly, it was like we're talking about Mad Magazine and uh, the Golden Turkey Awards, the book of bad movies we were both obsessed with. And I just, I love the guy because there was, you know, there's just no one else on earth I could just call up at any point in a day and you just get him on the phone. You'd go, what about Boom with Elizabeth Taylor? That's a pretty bad movie, huh? Oh, God, I know. <laughs> and he'd, he'd just go for three hours. And uh, and I I, I uh, absolutely love the guy and miss the hell out of him. He was, yeah, he was a-, a We miss a, him greatly. Yeah. And he was a real dichotomy, you know, a guy who was covered in tattoos who loved Barry Manilow. He was yes. he was a hard guy to, a hard guy to get a to, to get a beat on. He uh, and thank you for introducing him to this show because he really turned out to be a great asset. Oh my god. For years and 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 we'll miss him terribly. What would you do 30 episodes of that podcast? Yeah, yeah, people can still listen to it. You can find Rain's episode and um, What's it called again? Crackpot Cinema. Crackpot right. and Cinema. It, and it was just us talking about the kind of uh, insane messed up movies that Mike loved and I loved. We did one episode that was a tribute to the films of John Ritter. You know, just whatever whatever <laughs> shit that he Did you get, did you get Problem Child in there? Gilbert's uh... No, see, Problem Child That was actually pretty good. But... Exactly. We wanted the really bad John Ritter there, movies. There was that one like the the Last American Hero or something oh, no, like that. That one large. we reviewed. We reviewed Hero, Hero at Large, at large. That, yes. That was a bad one. <laughs> yes, we talked about that one. It was yeah. also Skin Deep, right? We talked the about Blake, that the Blake one. Blake Edwards yes. one. Yeah. Skin Deep, yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely love the guy. And uh, yeah. We love him too. And we love Rachel and John and Gene. Yeah. And uh, and we, we, uh, we will miss him forever. Uh, Rain, tell us about Soul Pancake. And the good work that you're doing before we get out of here. Oh, well, yeah. So I, I, with some friends, we created a digital media company, Soul Pancake, and we had a YouTube channel, have a YouTube channel, and uh, do work, branded content, and social media. We created a lot of online viral shows, and the whole philosophy of the company is uplifting, inspiring content uh, for young people. And uh, we've got over a billion video views on the stuff that we've made, and... Uh, it's uh, it's been a great a great ride and a really fun endeavor, yeah. And the yeah. book was a bestseller. 
book was a bestseller. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, translated a bunch of the shows that we produced into made them into TV shows, and um, it was uh, it was really it was really fun. We were we were purchased by Participant Media, which is a big Oscar winning uh, media company. And we've kind of become their digital arm now to part what they're doing to participant media. Great. Yeah. Yeah. You want and you want to speak a little bit for a couple of minutes about the the great work that you're doing in Haiti. Oh, well, okay, sure. Uh, yeah. And, so, and tell people and tell people how they can support it. Um, okay, great. Uh, they can send cash um, to uh, Gilbert Gottfried, seventy nine East Seventy Ninth Street. <laughs> Um, <laughs> apartment 3G. He'll um, let you do that. So, uh, the my wife and I went to Haiti um, and uh, visited a bunch of programs down there and fell in love with the country. And uh, two months later, it was the earthquake, and um, hundreds of thousands of people died. We went and volunteered our time doing arts classes for for adolescent girls in the that were living in the tent city. And um, out of that was born um, uh, a nonprofit called Lide Haiti. And uh, and we've been working now for the last seven years. It's been very successful. We have about 800 girls in 12 different educational programs for arts and literacy. We have scholarships and a mobile computer lab and um, an apprentice program and uh, it's it's been a, a great um, endeavor. It's uh, it's a lot of work. It's hard work, and but we employ a lot of Haitians. It's really Haitian run and operated at this point. And uh, you can learn more about us by visiting lidehaiti.org. L i d e. Good, good yeah. for you. Good for you. Rain Rain helped all work. these people and started a spirituality website. And I wrote, "Are you hot?" for Lorenzo. <laughs> And I'd just like to make sure we plug that again. ABC's Are You Hot? Tell us, from the sublime to the ridiculous, Aaron, tell us, a, tell us a roast joke or a family guy moment or something that you're particularly proud of as a writer. Oh, um, I mean, I, I can't imagine there's any roast jokes left that, that we haven't told during this, over this amount I'll, of time. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a great Aaron Lee joke. Please. Go ahead. Um, I think it got cut. Okay. Um, but it was from the Independent Spirit Awards. And um, I was introducing the people that were going to be giving out the awards. So Forrest Whitaker was going to be giving out an award. And um, so the joke was, ladies and gentlemen, the next guest to the stage is someone who has been an inspiration to me, uh, someone who uh, I've looked up to so much, and he has helped me throughout my career. I'll never forget... Um, when I was starting out as an actor, he once came to me and, um, no, and I, no, at first I said his name. So I said that Forrest Whitaker is coming to the stage. He's helped me so much. He, I remember when I was starting out my career, he once, he came to me and he said, <laughs> I always, you know, it's so funny these popping in your head. I always remember you oh, introducing Lord. Javier Bardem on the show. Yes, and you're into. The, I wrote an intro for you where you you were like, he is uh, he is magnetic. He is charismatic. Three time Oscar acclaimed, winner. Three Oscar yeah. winner. I want to fuck him so fucking bad. Javier, Javier Bardem. Bardem. Yes. <laughs> and I think he was like, I would fuck you. Yeah, yeah. he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so we did cocaine and fucked all night long. <laughs> you two are the Marlon Brando and Richard Pryor of really your time. Are. You really are. You really are. <laughs> we loved having you guys. Sorry we bounce around so much. Sorry it's so schizophrenic. I love it. It's that's it's why great. I love it. That's why I loved try to, it for what, we try to seven cover years as much now? ground as possible. Three hundred seventy-seven episodes. Seven years. Oh, my God. what we forgot. Closing in on four hundred. Aaron, what was your favorite line of that Mad Magazine parody? Oh, okay. So <laughs> there's an old Mad Magazine parody of this movie that we forced Rain to watch. Gary Coleman and On the Right Track. <laughs> and the joke I loved as a kid was Gary Coleman, who was a you know a short actor. He was playing a, a little homeless boy, and in this panel, he's taking a shower at the at the train station where he lives, and it's the image is him, <laughs> two men pointing at him saying what what we call a urinal, he calls a shower, and it's an image of <laughs> Gary Coleman nude with his little butt out and a and a brush. And subsets in a urinal. And that, <laughs> as a kid, I thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, and, and, and Mike and I used to say that all the time. What, what we big people call a urinal, he calls a shower. <laughs> what else do you guys want to promote and plug? What's coming up? Uh, More Terry Carnation, hopefully. Hopefully. One of these yeah. days. We'll figure it out. Yeah, and ran a couple of movies in the can. Or yeah, yeah, you know. various things. Yeah. Will you direct again? Will you keep directing? Um, I would like to direct more. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to come up with some projects that I can direct. But uh, yeah, may I direct our our listeners to that uh, wonderfully obscure and and dark and weird and delightful a funny or die piece you did together about Dinah Dinah Woman. That blew my mind. Frank sent that the other day. Yeah. I'd forgotten we did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, I don't know why I've written so many pieces for you where you're in women's clothing yes. being a prostitute. Again. Yes. <laughs> yes. Again, Rain is an actor who commits. My wife says, why is Rain always shirtless or in his underpants? Just for comedy. It just makes people laugh. I have yes. a long, bulbous, eggplant-shaped torso, and it always gets gets the yucks. Um. Yeah, Dinah Woman. It's on there somewhere. Is it online it's still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's there. It's you can see yeah. it. It's great. Yeah. It's fun. Great. It's great. Well, thanks you know, for having I'm, us, guys. Oh, this is wonderful. I'm out of cards for these gentlemen, Gilbert. Oh. Well, what do you I, think? I, I guess then it's time to wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> do you like working with our friend John Amos and Shakespeare in the Park, Rain? Wow. Yeah, lovely well, you, guy. Did, you did the deep dive. Yeah, he's I a do. great guy. Yeah, lovely yeah. guy. Yeah. I love that you also got to work with Hesseman because I know he was one of your, oh one yeah, of your childhood favorites yeah, in WKRP. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's fun, isn't it, to to watch these guys as a kid and then grow up and and, and you get and to work with them. Yeah, enter their world. Yeah, I I remember. You feel that way about Gilbert today? Yeah, <laughs> I do. He's my absolutely my idol, and um, uh, this is a it's an honor and a privilege. And, you know, I just want to say, I didn't actually write a lot of those offensive jokes that we were talking about. Uh, don't get me in trouble. It was not me. It was Groucho. And uh, Groucho, why did you write all those offensive jokes? Why did you Why did you work for those terrible roasts? And Groucho, why would you do that? Because, because Chico needs the money. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. 
Thanks for helping me out with find a, to find a thank, button, Aaron. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for a great set. <laughs> Gilbert, let these gentlemen get on with their day and their okay. lives. They're far from home. So this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we've had not one but two great guests. Aaron Lee and Rain Wilson. A treat, fellas. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Wow, this was super fun. So Thanks fun. so much. Thank Thanks a lot. We'll see you guys out there. All right. That's great. Thanks, guys. This one will never sell. They'll never understand. I don't even sing it well. I try, but I just can't. But I sing it every night And I fight to keep it in Cause this one's for you This one's for you I've done a hundred songs From fantasies to lies But this one's so real for me that I'm the one who cries And I sing it every night And I fight to hide the tears Cause this one's for you This one's for you
Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Frank Santo Padre, Derek Gottfried, and Starburns Audio. Audio production by Aristotle Acevedo and John Murray. Editing by Aristotle Acevedo. Social media production by Greg Pear, Josh Chambers, Michelle Manninen, and Dino Perserpio. Website supervision by John Bradley Seals. Special thanks to Land Romo, Jack Vaughn, Daniel Spaventa, and Stephen Varley.